Now, before I get into my message today, uh, I've got a really exciting announcement. Actually, Doug has a very exciting announcement. So I'm going to have him come up and just share some things that God's doing in his life and the life of this church. It seems like we're going through this a lot. <laughs> this is an awesome, awesome time. So listen up to what Doug has to say. Okay. Um, don't just think, uh-oh, okay, because uh, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. But I want to I read a scripture. It just kind of guides my thinking as I think about God's work. In fact, that song just sings, I sing for joy at the work of your hands. And uh, there's a scripture that jumps out that I want to read to you, and it's Philippians 1.6. And it says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And uh, when I think of that verse, I just, I just think back on my Christian you know, life with the Lord. He, he saved me when I was 18. And I've just seen God do the most amazing things just as I walk with Him and I trust Him. And, and the cool thing is because I believe that God is sovereign, whatever He brings into my life, whether I think it's good or bad, it's what I needed most and it's what brings Him the most glory. I mean, it's just easier for me to think that way. God, you're in control. I'm not going to fight it. It's just easier just to go with the flow. And, uh, and it, it, I don't know. He's just, he's just done everything. He's perfect, I guess. And not that I've enjoyed every moment of it, but at the same time, it's just I look back and I say, God, I am so grateful for your work in my life. Part of that work is, is bringing me to Cornerstone. When I look back over these last five years of just what God has taught me, it has been so huge in my, in my walk with the Lord. And, and even before that, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And I remember when, when, I, was, when I was done, it was, just, it was clear that I, I needed to do something else. I needed to grow in different ways. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember thinking, Lord, maybe I'll go find a church or maybe I should go take a church somewhere. And then I thought, man, I, just, I knew I wasn't ready. I would have hurt somebody, okay? I would have hurt a lot of people. And uh, I just had so much just, I don't know, pride and just it was still immature in so many ways. And, and so I knew I needed something, and so I began to pray for two things in particular. I mean, two very specific things. Lord, I really pray that you'll put me in a church where there's a healthy elder board, just godly men who love you and will pursue you. And I really pray that, God, please put me underneath someone to work and learn from them, um, just someone that's doing a really good job that I can learn from. And so when I got to come to Cornerstone, God just, he, he did, you know, one of, he did one of them in an amazing way. We have an amazing elder board here. Um, so, <laughs> ooh, I'm teasing. Um, the thing is, no, it's, uh, he provided both of them. I mean, just, we have an amazing elder board, and coming here and working with Francis and learning from him has just been so, just cool in my Christian life. Now, Last year, I'm going to share some things, a process that I've gone through. Last year, I remember Tony Hall, our worship pastor, he looked at me and we were sitting in his office. He says, man, don't you have a desire to go plant a church? I said, no, I love it here. I don't ever want to leave here. And I don't want to go to Ohio. And, uh, um, <laughs> and so he, uh, he just said, I just think it's weird that you, you don't want to go plant a church. And I said, I, I just really don't have that desire. I get to do, Francis gives me total freedom. I can do whatever I want. I'm not restricted. And um, so he... I just remember telling him, you know what, the Lord hasn't given me that desire, but when he does, I'll understand. It'll be, it'll be clear, and, and I'll walk with him at that point. And that was in, I don't know, the end, I guess it was the fall of last year. Well, November, I went out to visit my sister in Phoenix, and it was Thanksgiving weekend. And I was just going through my quiet time, and actually I was doing a prayer walk, and just kind of walking through um, the city that she lives in, which is Chandler and Gilbert. And if you haven't been to Phoenix lately, this place is booming. I mean, it's just huge. And I got to the top of this hill and I could just see this ocean of homes. And I started just to pray. As soon as I saw that many homes representing that many people, I just started praying like, wow, Lord, I pray that these people will know you. And um, I don't know why. I was just so convicted. The moment I prayed for them to know God, I felt convicted. Well, if I'm going to pray for them to know God, why wouldn't I be willing to come and, uh, and tell them? 
And so I just, I remember praying, I just, I said, Lord, do you want me to plant a church in Phoenix? And then I ducked. <laughs> I hate Phoenix. I hate Phoenix. I mean, sure, I'm not kidding you. I just, I'll, I'll go to Africa, but Lord, please don't send me to Phoenix. And, uh, and so the thing was, I remember as soon as I prayed, and it was the weirdest thing because I didn't get anything back. And I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't know if I just have this conviction or this desire or something that would say, yes, I want you here. But it was almost dead silence. It was like it just, it just nothing. And so I just kind of sat there and I think he threw, well, Lord, I guess it was just for me to be open and being open to go plant a church. That was the first time there by myself with the Lord that I seriously considered ever even leaving Cornerstone to go plant a church. And so that was in November. December, I was reading through a book called Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders, greatest book on Christian leadership. And uh, I got to the end of it and I had a study guide question that just caught me off guard. And, and, it, and I said, if you could do anything in the church, what would you most enjoy doing? And as soon as I read it, I knew that, I just knew the answer that, that I would most enjoy at this point in my life teaching and being responsible for a group of people just to fulfill God's purposes, um, his ways and his thoughts and just be responsible. Um, once again, just like when I was a youth pastor, be responsible for a group and everything that happened within. And so it was just kind of cool just to have that desire. So being willing to, to go do something for the Lord and then just to have him just put that desire, I want you to teach more. I want you to be involved in teaching. So now the big month was January. And uh, I just had gotten my evaluation from the elders and they said something very specific. They said, is there any kind of equipping that you can go to a seminar or a conference for executive pastors? And I said, you know what? The, the position is so new. I've never seen a conference for executive pastors or a seminar. I've never seen it. It could be out there. Well, a couple of days later, I get this email. And all of a sudden, it says, first ever executive pastors conference. And I thought, that's cool. And it was in Dallas, Texas. And, um, and the coolest thing is I asked the elders, I said, can I go to this conference? And, um, and they said, absolutely, go for it. And so we were getting ready to take off. And I called. I remembered as we were leaving that there was a couple from our church and, uh, here at Cornerstone, and their names are Barry and Heather Clark. And he went through Top Gun, and God totally rocked his world in Top Gun. He left his computer business, sold everything, and he went to Dallas Seminary and, um, and to study and just seek God's will for his life. And so the whole thing is I remember right before we were leaving, I thought, oh, Barry and Heather are there. We should hook up with them and have, have dinner. So we ended up hooking up with him, and we talked all that night, and he kept sharing over and over again how, how just, you know, it would be so cool to see a Cornerstone Church plant um, in the city that he lived in. And, um, and then he started sharing about how he wanted to plant a church, but he didn't want to lead it, and he wanted to work with somebody. And I seriously remember this. I was sitting on the couch, and he was on the floor, and I remember praying, Lord, I pray that you'll provide a man for that guy to work with. <laughs> it seriously never dawned on me. I, that's all I thought, like, Lord, this guy really wants to plant a church. Give him somebody. And, uh, and then we went back to the conference, and, and it was the weirdest thing, because we were flying into Burbank, back home. Um, I leaned over, Franny went with me on the trip, and, and the whole two, three hours, I just knew my heart. God just started to put that desire, that conviction. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the weirdest way. And then I'm battling. Am I just thinking this? Is this my thoughts? Are these God's thoughts? And I'm going back and forth. And so I finally leaned over to Franny as we're pulling into Burbank, and I said, Babe, I know this is going to sound weird, but I just sense that God wants me to pray about planting a church with Barry in Texas. And she goes, you know what? I feel the exact same way. And I was like, no way. And, I, and then and so we said, well, just let's commit to the Lord. I mean, if it's, if it's supposed to happen, then the desire will grow and, and it will become a conviction that we have to do this and it will be a passion and an action that you'll see in our lives. And it was just really cool. And we, we, we get home from our trip and Sammy runs to the front door, our little one, and he holds up this map that he colored at school and he colored the state of Texas green. And he goes, I want to move to Texas. And I'm like, and I threw up. Like, like, 
Like, don't, don't stress me out. And, uh, and so, long story short, and that was back in January, just we kept praying and praying and praying. I talked with Francis about it, talked with the elders, um, talked with people that I respect, and just shared that, and just kept getting green lights and green lights. And just every month, God just kept sending affirmation and affirmation. And uh, so what I can do, I stand before you today, and just as one of your pastors, and from everything that I can see in God's Word, everything that He's done in circumstances, um, everything that through relationships of godly men and women um, in our lives, I could stand before you and say, Frank, I really feel called um, by God to go to the city of Rockwall, Texas. He's in North Dallas to plant a church. So <laughs> this is what I'm going to preach in. Uh, I'm teasing. Now, this is not my slide, so you know, okay? This is uh, Jim the worship guy. I thought this would be funny. Um, now, now, here's the timing of it all, in case you're kind of thinking through. We're, we're, we're going to launch the church. Our prayer is that the church will be launched in the summer of 06. So we're here this whole year. And I like that because it gives time to pray through it, to see God's direction. Like some of you sitting here right now, you're just thinking, oh, I'll never go. <laughs> I know it's going to happen. You're going to go to work this week, and then your company, your loan company, is going to say, oh, we want a chance for you to plan up. Okay? So be on guard. Write that down. And, uh, and, uh, but if you're interested, and this is the thing, is you, you really just pray about it and say, God, is this something that you want me to do? Um, because I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to push it. It's, God's made this clear in my life that this is what I'm supposed to do. But if you feel like, you know what, this may be something that we'd like to be part of in planning the church um, in the North Dallas area, we're going to have an information meeting on Tuesday night, and it's going to be at 7 o'clock over in room 12. So where the, the children's buildings are lined up, it's the very last one. And basically, at this meeting, we'll talk about what the church will kind of look like, the desires of it, vision, uh, distinctives that we're shooting for in a church. And so if you're interested... Um, and also why Rockwall kind of deliver why we picked that city out of all the cities in America so come on by um, yeah at 7 o'clock we're in 12 we'll see you there cool It's, it's so exciting just seeing all of the guys go out and, uh, and start their own churches and you know, it's kind of weird, though, too, at the same time, everyone's leaving, and, and people are starting to call me Kobe. They're like, your, your, your whole team's gone, you know, what, no one gets along with you? Or and, uh, you know, but it is, and, and there's, there's like this, this mixed emotion, like, you know, oh, man, I'm so excited for all this stuff going on, and yet at the same time, there is a sadness. There's like, oh, man, what, what is Cornerstone Church without Doug? You know, it's like he's been such a big part of it. You know, it's like, what, what is Cornerstone without, without Tony, without, you know, Wendy and Brian and Frank? And, you know, you go on down the line, all these guys going and leaving. And yet, when you go to these different places and you visit those churches, you realize, okay, this is the right thing. This is so good to just be a light in these different communities. And then you look around the room and go, man, we're still packed. You know, we're still absolutely full as thousands, uh, not thousands, hundreds of people have gone off to our different, uh, you know, church plants. You know, even Gordy over in Moore Park and a big chunk of our congregation going over there. Yet God keeps blessing us here and we just keep giving and giving and giving. And you've got to know that's a vision of this church. Um, is that we just keep sending, sending, sending people out. And for you, really, to pray about it and to go, okay, I didn't think I'd ever leave Simi Valley, but why not, you know? I mean, why not go to Rockwall, sell my house, and buy a house for 50 grand, you know? And, uh, you know? And then I don't even have to work anymore. I can just serve in the church full time. And, 
you know, it's just, it's one of those things where you just go, you know, it does, it does make some sense, you know, these different places. Not that I'm trying to get rid of people. I'm just going, you know, there's, there's something that's so fun to just go and have this sense of, I don't know what's going to happen here. You know, God, you're going to have to come through. And it's been exciting seeing these guys in these different cities going, man, this has been the greatest thing I've ever experienced. And, uh, very, very few people that have left and gone to these church plants have any, any type of uh, concern or frustration or disappointment. They're all just going, wow, I had no idea I would grow this much and learn this much, and it was just what I needed. So seriously, pray about it. You know, but it is sad. It is sad seeing Doug leave, and I'm, and I'm thinking about, okay, what, what's, what's the thing that I'm going to miss the most about having him around? And, you know, when Doug was here, and um, it feels like a funeral, I remember Doug. <laughs> no. But uh, no, you know, the thing that he brought, that he really brought to me and to the staff was, was a sense of joy. Um, man, I just remember there would just be these tense moments, and, and I'm a very intense person. I don't know if you know. I, 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 I can just get so intense and so frustrated about these details. And, and, you know, I'd look over at Doug, and he would just be like on the verge of laughter. I'd be like, what's your deal? But there was just this joy of just, you know what, God's in control. Everything's fine, and, and just the levity that he brought. And, and, I, and I, I, I say that because, man, this whole issue of joy is something that God has really... If, if anyone asked me, what has God taught you most about over the last five years, I'd say joy. It's been this process where, you guys, I, I, I just was not a joyful person. Joy had nothing to do with my walk with the Lord. My walk with the Lord was so much about suffering for Him and sacrificing for Him. And, and, and it just seems like the more I've grown in my walk with the Lord, the more I've understood joy. And, uh, and, and, and even this week, you know, because what I'm going to do is these next few weeks, um, I'm just going to do a series on joy. You know, we just finished three and a half, over three and a half years in the book of Luke. And so, so these next few weeks or years, I'm going to talk about joy, you know, because it's the thing that, that, you know, I just thought, okay, Lord, before I jump in another book, what's really on my heart? And it's just the way that I feel like my life's been transformed. And, and even this week, I don't know. I don't know if you ever had one of those weeks where you just feel like God just opened your eyes to so many things, where, where it's like, I, you know, you, you knew all of this stuff. It was all in your head, but then something clicked. Something clicked, and then you have one of those weeks or one of those days where you go, God, I see everything differently now, and I'm so fired. You ever have one of those weeks? No? Okay, a couple of you? No, and okay, well, I did, okay? This was one of those weeks where I'm just like, wow, you know, I get it to another level. I mean, not that I never got it. It's just like I get it, and now it's like, wow, I'm here now. I just get a, a new lease on life and this excitement about, about just following God and knowing Him. And it's just been such an amazing week where, you know, just my times, the Lord, I leave there almost like giddy, you know, like, like a little kid, like just so fired up and so happy and just on the verge of tears. And it's like, God, this is so, so good understanding this joy because it hasn't always been there. Man, I, I used to read God's Word, and, you know, up till recently. There, there were passages I'd read and I'd go, I don't get it. I don't get it. I remember in high school reading some of these verses, you know, when I first became a believer, especially in the Psalms, you know, I, I would read about the way this person would feel about God and go, I don't get that. 
I remember reading verses like Psalm 119, you know, the, the whole chapter about how this guy loves God's law. And there's verses like uh, verse uh, 131. He says, I, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. What? You open your mouth and pant, longing for commands? Man, when you first become a Christian, I mean, think about it. I'm in high school going, man, I, I, there's a lot of things I loved about God when I first understood Him. And I thought, man, I love the fact that God is crazy about me and, and that I can be forgiven of everything I've done in the past. He sent His Son, His Son on the cross, paid for everything I did wrong in my past. And to think now I can begin a relationship with Him and now I can have eternal life with Him. I was excited. But the commands... To me, the commands in this book were the downside of Christianity, right? Ah, oh, but now I've got to do this, you know, and now I've got to do this, you know. And, and, but I was committed to him, and I said, God, you know what? I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to obey this book. You know, even though it's hard, even though I don't like your commands, I'm going to obey them to show you how much I love you. And that was my life. That was my Christian life for so many years, and I'm committed. I'm going to obey these things, even though I don't like them. Because to me, the commands were taking away things that I enjoyed. It's like, okay, now I'm a, I'm a Christian, and, and, and okay, so that means no sex, no porn, no you know, swearing, no drinking, no you know, flipping people off, no cheating on my test, no all of these things, and, and you know, no lying. And I, I just thought, wow, what is that? You know, these commands, but it's like, okay, God, but I'm going to do it because I love you. I love you. And, and, you know, seriously, I mean... I loved lying. That was the best. You can do anything and just go, what? I didn't do it. You know? And it's like, that's so cool. I get away with any... You guys, I don't know about you, but let's be honest here. I, I love cheating in class. I just thought, that is the funniest thing, you know, to write something on your shoe and go, you know, and just read it. And, you know, and, and, you know, and when you would put things on your hand and you'd be like... You know, just whatever and all. I mean, everything. I broke my leg one time, you know, and, and I had this whole cast. I had the whole periodical chart of the elements, you know, from chemistry. Man, it was just all right there. And then I signed, you know, like someone was autographing and I'm really just writing all these answers to test. And, and it was just every way I could cheat. I just saw so funny. And I would tell everyone in class, ah, look how I did it this time. And it was just fun to me. Man, it was fun to just drop the F-bomb on someone, you know, or, or just flip someone off. It's like, yeah, you know, walk away. All this stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, I can't do any of this anymore, you know. That's because God's Word says I can't, you know. And it was this downer. Man, come on, you don't, don't look at there like, oh, he's such a jerk. You did it too. You know the feeling, you know. And, uh... And, and so then you read God's Word, and it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to hate anyone. I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to bless them, you know. And that's not really a blessing. You know, you just go on and on and on, and you go, oh, man, I've got to obey these laws. And so that's the mentality I had, and I think a lot of us start that way, right? It's like, okay, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. But then as you grow up, you start realizing, gosh, those laws aren't so bad, you know. You know, getting drunk all the time doesn't really lead to a great life. You know, sleeping around and cheating and everything, it doesn't really lead to a great life. Ripping people off and having them, you know, be your enemies, that doesn't really lead, you know, it's actually fun not to hate anyone. 
That actually feels good. This actually leads to life, to, to, to be in good relationships. And even if people hate you, to be able to let it go, you know, and go, that's oh, all right, that's all right. I'll still pray for them. I'll still love them. And, and you realize, okay, God's law is not so bad. And, and yet at the same time, I never shook that whole sense of, I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to do this for you because you're a great God. I'm going to repay you even though, even though uh, I don't like this. And I'm going to serve you even though it's hard. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to sacrifice. And some of that's still a part of Christianity. But, you know, I, 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 read, I, I started reading this author a few years ago, a guy by the name of John Piper. Oh, I don't know if you've read any of his works, but at first when I started reading, I just thought, this isn't right. There's something wrong about what he's saying because it was so different and he made this statement, you know, that he kind of popularized, that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I thought, you know, and I began to read it, and, I, and, and this was like nothing I had learned in Bible college. You know, this whole idea of finding pleasure in God. You know, for me it was all, don't do this, don't do this, and that will please him. You know, serve him, sacrifice, give everything up, and that will please him. And, and, and then this whole concept, no, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And he talked about really everything that you sacrifice, even when the apostles, when they suffered, that brought them joy. There was a satisfaction that Peter, you know, could, could run out after he's been beaten and, 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 and leap with joy because he was counted worthy of suffering for God. And, and he talked about the satisfaction you can have in God and this joy you can have in him and this peace and how to fight for that. And, uh, and honestly, I didn't get that phrase so much. I mean, I, I believed it. The more I studied it, the more I go, no, that is, his laws do lead to life. His laws aren't a burden. That everything God is doing is is really for my my satisfaction because when I'm satisfied, he's glorified and everything is for his glory. And, and, and I know some of you are still not totally getting this concept. Maybe if I, if I unspiritualize it for a second and talk about satisfaction, you'll understand, you know what, satisfaction and glory go together. They really do. Um, for example, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, I was in, uh, I was in Georgia, and uh, that wasn't satisfying. But I, I'm, I'm in a hotel room. I turn on the TV, and it's kind of fun to watch TV because we don't, we don't have TV at home. You know? And so when I go to a hotel, you know, I was like, oh, let's see what's going on. And my neighbor even walked in one day. He's not a believer. He walks in. He goes, man, you guys don't watch TV? That's why your wife's always pregnant. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm in... Uh, I'm in this hotel room, and I turn on TV. I go, oh, cool, you know, let me just see. Let me, let me just watch some stuff. You know, I watch the news, you know. And then, you know, then I, I like sports. I like watching TV on sports, yeah, sports on TV. So I turn on, and there's, there's really nothing on ESPN except for tennis, you know. And, uh, but I thought, oh, let me just watch it, because Andre Agassi was playing. And did you guys see that Wednesday night? Oh, man, Wednesday night. You know, Andre Agassi, I remember him from when I was in high school. He was the guy with all the hair, and, you know, and now he's bald. <laughs> I love it. And... Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, he's, he's playing, and I mean, he's just this legend, and you know, and he's playing this young guy, James Blake, big stud of a guy, just throwing these serves, and they're just amazing, and, and Blake was just killing Agassi, just making a fool out of him. 6-3, the first set, it was just, it was done so easily. And the second set, same thing, 6-3, you know, and I'm just thinking, 
Agassi, you're done. You're 35 years old, running around with these kids. Your reign is over, and you just figure, you know, it always happens, right? It's done. The old guy's over with. He can't keep up. Third set, it's 3-1 to one now. Blake is, is winning 3-1. You're going, it's over. And I just about turned it off, thought, this is over with. And then Agassi breaks him a game and actually wins a game, and it's 3-2. And you see the crowd just start screaming, Andre, you know, and they start yelling. And you just saw this look in his eyes. I don't know. It's just his whole countenance, his whole face changed. If anyone saw it, it's just this look of, you young punk. You're, you're not taking me down, you know. I'm still on my throne. And, you know, and he just starts serving better, playing better. And this whole place just starts going crazy. And you can tell everyone's rooting for him now. And, and, and he wins that third set, and now it's 2-1. And then the fourth set comes along, and he's even more on fire, plays better than I've seen in so long. And, and now he wins the fourth set easily. He kills him in the fourth set, and then it comes to the fifth set, and it just looks like, oh, he ran out of gas. And you're like, oh, man, poor old guy, you know, and he's just, just <laughs> down, and it's like, ah, you know, he gave it a good fight. He's going to end well, but then once again, he just gets this look in his eye, this confidence. Everyone starts cheering, and he starts taking the lead, and, he, and, and it ends up being, you know, four, four, five, five, six to six on that fifth set. And they go to the tiebreaker, which is seven points, right? Seven points. Whoever wins this wins the whole match. And the first three points go, go to Blake, 3-0. And you're like, ah, you fought all this way just to lose. You know, you came so close. But suddenly, 3-1, 3-2, 3-3, 4 you know, and everyone's just insane at this point. And Andre Agassi gets the sixth point. He's winning 6-5. to five, And then this ball comes to him. He just whips his forehand, you know, just right down the line, hits the line, bounces away, and he wins. And I tell you, what a rush. It's just like this moment in sports history. Now, what was I talking about? Um, <laughs> as, I, as I describe that game, don't you wish you saw it? Don't you just go, oh, man, that would have been so cool. I don't even like tennis, but that would have been so cool just to see that. You see, what did I do? I brought glory to that game because I had so much satisfaction in it. You suddenly won a piece of it. You know, it's, it's, it's anything's like this. I, I could say, you ever had that, that chocolate lava cake at Soup Plantation? Out there in Porter Ranch, they have this cake. It's not just a regular cake. Oh, it's a... Uh, it's because like the edges are all cakey, right? But as it goes more and more in the middle, it gets more mushy. And the middle is like this chocolate syrup, this hot... I, I can't even explain. It's just this... If you like chocolate, you, you get that. It's this chocolate hot cake. And then you put some of that soft-serve vanilla ice cream on top of it. And then they have these caramel chips that you throw on top of that. And you just make this pile. And all you've eaten is salad, so this is fine. You know? You feel like, oh, this is cool. I get to eat this and I don't feel guilty at all. You know? It, it's, so, it's just amazing. And I mean, it's just something about that hot, hot cake and then that cold, cold ice cream. And you just get a little bit of each and you throw it in your mouth. And you just go, oh. oh. Now, as I... What did I just do? I brought glory to soup plantation. I did. I did. It makes you want to go over there for lunch, right? 
but they're not serving hot lava cake this week. I already checked the menu. They're, it's not over there this week. You see, when I am satisfied with something, it brings glory to it, right? When I sit here and tell you, oh, that made me so happy, you go, oh, I want, I want to taste that. When I tell you about that tennis match, you go, man, I wish I could have seen that. And when I tell you about this relationship I have with God, if I could be that type of person where I could just really every week tell you, man, this week I had some time with God, where you guys, I, I was just so, so happy. I'd get time, you know, away from my time with God this week and come back and I was like this little kid just full of so much happiness and emotion and joy. And you guys, you know, man, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. There's a lot of things I enjoy in this life. But honestly, it, it so pales in comparison to the joy I get when I'm with God. I mean, there's just times when it's just, just he and I and we're just talking and, and just to think, man, you made all of this stuff and you're listening to me right now. You, you made this whole world and you're crazy about me and you're in charge of everything on this earth and, and you and I are in this love relationship and I just leave there just so fired up. Man, I, I'll ask him for things and he'll answer them. I'm going, man, you, you heard that. And look at how you answered it. And, and it has to be you. There's no way this is all coincidence. And I just leave there so fired up. And, and the truth is, is if we really all found that satisfaction in God, who gets the glory? Not me. It's him. Man, when I walk around telling people what God's done in my life, you know, and just start naming everything and the joy He's brought into my life, what do they say? I want a piece of what He's got. I, I, I want that. He's so excited about it. She's so excited about it. They're so satisfied. What is it about that place? What is it about that God they worship? I've never seen someone so satisfied. We live in a world where everyone's wanting more. They're coveting. They desire more. I'm not happy. Maybe if I get this, maybe I get that. Then every once in a while they meet someone that's just so content. Where you go, man, I, I'm the most blessed man on the earth. I don't know what else God could do for me. But life is amazing. And people look at you and go, I don't know what you have, but I want that. Whatever that is, you just brought a ton of glory to it, to where I desire it, to where I want to taste and see that your Lord is good. So you live in that type of life. I, I just don't see enough Christians living that way. And honestly, I, I haven't lived that way. You know, most of my Christian life, it's, it's, it's been this bummer of a thing where I've got to obey this rule, that rule, you know, walk in church, kind of bad attitude, this or that. And it's like, okay, why would anyone want a piece of that? You know? If you're, you're walking around your neighborhood just bummed out about this, oh yeah, I blew it again, I sinned against God and these commands, man, I can never get it right. You know, everyone's going to go, oh, I want to be just like you. I need more misery in my life. You know, it's just, no, no, no. What, what glory does that bring to God? You see, our satisfaction and God's glory go hand in hand. And that's why I'm going to do this series on joy. That's why we're going to talk about this. And, and, and as I thought about it, you know, I, I can't just come here every weekend and say, okay, go out and be joyful. Okay, because I'm not talking about faking it. Okay, there's plenty of that going on in churches where people walk in and go, hi, I love Jesus. <laughs> you know, and it's like, come on. Saw you the rest of the week, you know. And it's, it's not about faking joy and pretending you're finding something in God so you make your product look attractive to Him. I'm talking about real joy. 
How, how do we get a congregation to just genuinely in your life have a, a genuine peace before God? You know, a genuine joy before God. And then the Bible says that that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something I can conjure up, manipulate, and, and, and kind of fire you up and go and have joy, you know, and give you ten steps. The, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. Number two, second thing on there is joy. Man, and, and if people would see more of the joy of the Holy Spirit in us, I believe that the, the church would be a much more attractive place to be a part of. You know, and, and that people would long for us, just like I made you long to see that game. It's like I'm making you long for some dessert at Soup Plantation. It's like, gosh, if we would live the lives where people would just long for a taste of our God because we are so satisfied in Him. But it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so where do we start? Where do we start this series? Well, you, you can't have true joy without the Holy Spirit. So what we do is we start with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I love Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, because he starts off, Ephesians 5, 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine. And when I read that verse, you know, that's all I remember of the verse when I was in high school, you know, was the do not. Don't get drunk on wine. It's like, okay, I'll watch it. I have my limits. I, I, I don't even need a drink. You know what? Don't get drunk on wine. Okay, fine. Another command I don't really care for, but I'll do it. You know, but that's not the point of it. When you read the verse, what does it say? Don't, absolutely, don't get drunk on wine. But, what's the point? Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's going to lead you into this life of just foolishness, of where you're just going to waste everything. You're going to throw everything away. You can get it. Go ahead. Go for it. But what's it going to lead you to? It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads you to debauchery. You don't want to be in this life where, you know what, everything's a mess. That's what it's going to lead to, that type of addiction. Because don't get drunk on wine. It's going to lead you to foolish actions, actions that aren't satisfying. God's not trying to destroy your life. He's just saying, you know what, don't get drunk on wine. That's just going to lead you to debauchery. That doesn't satisfy. Let me tell you what does. Let me tell you something that is so much better. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to lead you to this joy is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, gentleness, self-control, all of this stuff, that's what it's going to lead you to. He goes, but don't get drunk on wine, that's going to lead you to debauchery. I'm giving you something better. The God of the universe is saying, I love you so much, and trust me, this is a better life over here. Trust me, this is so much greater. And like I said, as we get older, we start realizing, yeah, he's right. You know, thou shalt not murder. It's good not killing people. It's, it's good, you know. You know, you start looking at all the rules, you know, you know, to remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And go, you know, it's good not working every day of the week. It's good listening to parents. And then as you're a parent, you go, yeah, it's really good to listen to your parents. You know, it, you start going, these laws are good. Everything is going to lead me to pleasure, to satisfaction. It's hard. There are times, you know, you go with that quick fix of sin and it's tempting and everything else, but in your mind you go, nah, but I know this is better. He says, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get filled with alcohol. Get filled with the Spirit. And, and this is such an important analogy because the, the word to be filled with the Spirit isn't, isn't a one-time act. It's, it's this continual action where you keep on getting filled 
Being filled with the Spirit isn't something that happens to you at one point in your life and just lasts forever. You come over, you know, walk the aisle, I touch you on the head, you fall over, start drooling, and, and, and okay, now the Spirit's in me, you know, for the rest of my... You guys, it's, it's not about that. You know, when you became a believer, yes, the Holy Spirit came into you, but being filled with Him is something that you have to continually do continually be filled with the Spirit. It's just like getting drunk. If we all got drunk in this room right now, what would happen tonight? We would all be fine. We'd be sober. We'd be back to normal. No one knew we were drunk. If we wanted to stay drunk all week long, imagine how much effort that would take. You know? I mean, you would just have to keep on drinking all week long. In the same way, the Bible says, you know what? We can hear, like this happens every week. People leave church and go, I am so fired up and in love with God right now. I feel so great. And you get on the freeway, a couple hours later, you're right back to where you were. And you go, what happened? That didn't work. You know? Or you go, oh, maybe next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday it'll stick through the week. You guys, it never sticks through the week. It's, it's not enough to come once a week and think, okay, I'll get filled with the Spirit here at church and it'll just last through the whole week. No, it takes effort. It's like staying drunk. It's like, I've got I to keep getting fed. I want to stay filled. That's why a lot of times we leave here, we're fired up, and then it disappears, because it's going to happen every time. That's why sometimes we'll go away to a retreat, like this week we're going to a men's retreat, you know, and we'll get all fired up. You come home, you guys, it doesn't just last through the year until next September, next October. It's not the point of it. It's a good little jump start. But the Bible says being filled with the Spirit, it goes on. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says, you want to stay filled with the Spirit? You want to keep, you know, this joy of God in your life? He goes, then speak to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What were the psalms? The psalms, when you read them, it's about a person's experience with God. He's sharing, hey, this is what God took me through. Man, it was tough, but then, man, I found the joy afterwards. He says, you know what? Speak to one another in that way. Why don't you go around telling people what you've experienced with God? Why don't when you speak to one another, you don't just talk about the last dessert you had, you know, or the last athletic event you saw. But as believers, why don't you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? What are these spiritual songs we sing? It's, it's someone sitting down and writing down his, his heart to the Lord and putting it to music. This, this is an expression of his own relationship with God. And you read it and you sing it and you go, wow, that's really good. I feel that way sometimes. And you connect. And the Bible says, why don't you do that with each other? Could you imagine if every time... What, what, if, what if I came to you every day? I came and I had five minutes with you every day. And I just sat you down at the beginning of the day and said, man, you know what God showed me today? You know what he taught me yesterday? And just laid it out for you. Wouldn't that be cool? Every day I did that. You know, I'd just jump in your car on the commute to work just for five minutes and I'll jump into someone else's car. You know, but, but just, just kind of go, hey, this is what God's been doing. Stay focused on this. This is awesome. And then Doug jumps into your car and he goes, ah, let me tell you what I've been doing. You know, and we just boom, boom, boom throughout the day. See, see like, like when, as I share with you what I'm learning about God, Fires you up, huh? You just go, that's cool. I need more joy. I've been bumming everyone out. You know, I, 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 need, to, I need to some of that, you know. And, and what if we all just started doing that with each other? Can you imagine how much more joy we would have if we went around telling each other throughout the day, every time you came in contact with another believer, this is what God's teaching me. 
See, I have friends like that, that, you know, they don't bum me out. You know, when they come together, e- even, even if they're going through a hard time, they'll tell me about what God's teaching them through it. And it's like I get so fired up by certain people. You know, and maybe that's what this week was so good. You know, I just was with a bunch of leaders that just kind of told me what God was doing in their lives, and I was sharing with them. And you just get that. That's what fellowship's about. That's what the small group studies are. It's like, gosh, by Wednesday, I need to get with a bunch of people and, and start talking about this stuff again and get fired up all over. Are you doing that? He says to do that, and then he goes, you know, uh, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. He says, sing. He goes, it, it, singing is not just for the weak. Is this the only time you sing to God? The passage is saying, if you want to be filled, if you want to have this joy, if you want to experience all the Holy Spirit, then sing all day long. When you leave here, keep singing. Sing to God, keep worshiping Him. Man, do you start your day maybe listening to, you know, a Christian CD and some worship music, throw it in, just blast and just start singing to God and then just let that song resonate through the whole day where you just keep on worshiping Him all day long? I tell you, that'll change you. That'll change your attitude when you're focused on worshiping God all day long and then you're having believers come to you and tell you about the great things that God's doing in their life and you're sharing about what God's done in your life and there's this constant interaction, constant worship. Can you imagine how much more joyful we would be if that's the way we lived our lives? And then he goes on, and, and he's, this is the killer for me, verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ always giving thanks to God for everything. Key words, always and everything. Always giving God thanks for everything. I mean, honestly, have you given God thanks for anything today? You know, it's almost 11 o'clock, man, and the Bible says we should be giving Him thanks for everything. How much thanksgiving is going on in your life? I mean, all day, are you just complaining to God, telling Him all the things He's got to fix and all the things you're frustrated with, or do you just go and just give thanks for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You wake up in the morning, just give thanks, 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 thanks. You walk in the room giving thanks. Thanks that I have this room to worship in. Thank you that there's order in this room. Thank you that I get to hear a message. Thank you I get to sing. I get to be with the people of God and just worship Him. You know, are you thankful Are you thankful for everything? You see, just imagine if you could for one hour do this. Speak to the Christians about what God's doing in your life. Sing to God, make melody in your heart, and give thanks continually. I'm not talking about in church. I'm just talking about work, whatever. Can you imagine how good that hour would be if you could just remember those three things? And then the next hour you do the same thing. Pretty soon you just live your life that way and you experience this, this satisfying, spirit-filled life. That's all God's asking for us. Man, I tell you, it was like a, a light went on when I just realized, you know, my goal in life needs to be to be the most joyful person on this planet because I'll get the most glory that way. Then you go, that's a pretty good goal to have. That makes life pretty exciting. And then you realize God wants me to be the most joyful person on this planet. And go, oh, life's pretty cool. You know, that God wants me to have joy and that that joy is actually what's going to give him glory. God wants me satisfied in him. And that's why, you know, now I'm reading these Psalms and going, this makes sense. This, this is why this guy's opening his mouth and panting 
for God's command because he's realizing that his commands actually lead to life. Give me satisfaction. And we live in such a dissatisfied world. And if, if they could see people who have found something, even through their trials, even through a hard day's work, whatever it may be, people with joy, imagine how attractive that would be and how much glory that would bring to our God when we're satisfied in him. People are going to go, you know what? I want what you have. Tell me about this God. He seems wonderful. But would people get that from your life right now? You know? It's a pretty awesome thing to think, okay, that's what God wants. He wants my pleasure because my pleasure is going to bring him glory and I can find ultimate pleasure in him and that's why it gives me these commands because they steer me back to the source of ultimate pleasure which is God himself.